Good morning, church family. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus as we continue to make our way through this incredible declaration of God to His people and also specifically looking at the Ten Commandments over the course of the next several weeks. We are this week in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. We'll be looking together at Commandment number three, Ten Commandment, Ten Commandments, Commandment number three. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Well, I grew up thinking that it meant you should not say the Lord's name in a curse word, for example. That would get you in big trouble. Of course, cursing in any measurable way would get you in big trouble at my house. Or you couldn't say the Lord's name haphazardly. You for sure didn't want to exclaim, oh my. You all know what I'm saying, right? Or thinking. You didn't want to use the Lord's name in vain in, in that way. You didn't want to express frustration by saying something like, oh, Lord, I really hate these people. You want to be very careful how you use the Lord's name. What are some of the main interpretations of this commandment? Number one, uh, one of the main understandings of this text is that you cannot use the Lord's name in a magical incantation. Jesus, the Lord, God isn't a genie in the bottle. You can't use it for some magical purposes. You can't use the Lord's name to swear falsely by. You cannot use God's name to back up assertions in court or otherwise. Some Christians believe that this commandment, for example, prohibits believers from, from taking an oath. A general inappropriate use, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, but by the second temple period, the Jews had even come to understand this commandment as a means by which they could not even pronounce the divine name of, of Yahweh. And today, if you would travel to Israel or even uh, perhaps an Orthodox Jew in, in our own community, you will find that they will not even write the name of God. They might put a few of the letters in there, but they won't spell it all the way out. But what does this text of Scripture mean? Hebrew, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This Hebrew word, nasah, to take can mean several different things. It can mean to carry, to take, to lift up, or to bear. Given the context here in Exodus chapter 20 and its use, the use of this word throughout the Hebrew Bible, I would argue this morning that the right understanding of Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, in this text is what Daryl Baca, well-known Old Testament professor, argued, quote, wearing the name of Yahweh as a band or brand of ownership. This is stated in the positive, what God is, is wanting us to do. In other words, if you take the name of God, you must live the name 
of God. This commandment is prohibiting you and me from carrying, for bearing, for taking the name of God and living our lives in a way that is completely, totally contrary to who he is and what he expects and commands of you and me. We must wear the name of God and wear it in a way that is consistent with his character and nature. Understanding this Hebrew word nasah to mean bear, in other words, bearing the name, is what we also see even in the context of the book of Exodus itself. Look with me just a few chapters over in Exodus chapter 28. In Exodus chapter 28, we are in this section of Scripture where um, Moses is giving all of the rules and regulations for the tabernacle and, and what the priests can wear and, and what they should not wear. And listen at the use of this word nasah to bear here in Exodus chapter 28 and verse 12, and then repeat it again in verse 29. Verse 12, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder piece of the ephod, these two onyx stones, and, and they shall be as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And what should Aaron do? Aaron shall nasah. He shall take, he shall carry, he shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. And look down again in verse number 29. Verse 29. So Aaron shall do what? Nasah. He shall bear, he shall carry, he shall take the names of the sons of Israel and the, and the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Aaron was literally and physically to bear the names of the Israelites on his body, reminding Yahweh of his covenant love for them. It was to stand as a demonstration, a reminder of, of what God had done in setting his affection on the nation of Israel. Thus, Daryl Bach would argue, quote, to bear the name of God means to have his name branded on one's person as a mark of divine ownership. I grew up in the country on a farm, a 2,000 acre farm in the panhandle of Florida, and we did a number of things on that uh, little farm. We raised a herd of cows called Beefmaster. We also farmed perennial peanut hay, which was a hay that was high in protein and was used primarily for racing horses. You could give them just a little bit of that hay, otherwise you give them too much, it, it, would, it, would, it would kill them. And, and we had to go out into the field and to the back portions of this, of this farm and we would herd all of these cows up to the front and bring them into the, the, the stockyards there for a number of purposes, but one of those purposes was to put them into the cattle gap, as we called it, and take a hot iron, and we would stick the emblem of that little, of the ranch called Little Star Ranch. We would brand those cows 
with that image. This, my friends, is what God is saying of you and me. What God is saying of his covenant people. When, when we, by faith, come to the Lord, when we come to Christ, the Lord runs us through that cattle gap, if you will, and he sticks his hot branding iron against our bodies, and he marks us. He, she, is a child of God. And what God is warning the nation of Israel as they prepare themselves as the covenant people of God, as they ready themselves to make their way toward the promised land, as they prepare themselves to live in the promised land in faithfulness before the Lord, God is saying to the nation of Israel, be careful how you live. Why? You have been marked by me. This is similar to what the prophet Isaiah, look with me in Isaiah chapter 44. This is similar to what Isaiah is communicating in Isaiah 44 verse 5. Isaiah 44 verse 5. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And another will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. These five letters in the Hebrew, I am the Lord's, functioned as a brand on the hand, identifying the bearer as literally being the property of of God himself. And this, my friends, is exactly what Israel is becoming at Mount Sinai. And through covenant ratification, proceedings, the beneficiary of Yahweh's great acts of deliverance, the people who had only recently been enslaved, had been the enslaved property of who? Pharaoh. Notice what God is doing for the nation of Israel. He's changing, literally changing their identity. You do not belong to Pharaoh. Rather, you belong to God. They were literally stamped with his name. This is what Isaiah is saying here in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 5. I am the Lord's. It also meant that everywhere the people went, they represented God himself and declared to the world that they were indeed the children of God. Do not carry, do not take, do not bear, and we're not to take or bear or carry what? The name of the Lord, how? In vain. What does it mean to take or to carry the name of the Lord in vain. In vain means for nothing, worthlessly. That is being branded by Yahweh's name and claiming to belong to him while doing homage to, to and serving other gods and so acting as if one belongs to some other god. See, what Yahweh is ultimately saying to the nation of Israel here is, it matters how we live our lives. You must not 
take the name of God and live like you belong to another. If you take God's name, you must live God's name. This is similar to what the Apostle Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus when he would write to them. And not only, not only to the church at Ephesus, Paul will, uh, Paul will use uh, the, these words in a variety of different ways in, in his letters. He is exceedingly concerned with the way in which the church is going to walk before the Lord. He, he wants them to walk in a manner that is worthy. So in Ephesians chapter 4, he writes these words, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, I want you to live like you have taken the name of God. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling, of the, of the taking, of the carrying, of the burying of the name to which you have been called to take, to carry, to bear. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul says, friends, this is how we carry this is how we bear the name of the Lord rightly. It matters how we live. We're not to take, we're not to carry, we're not to bear the name of the Lord in vain. And why? Notice the end of verse 7. There is a stern warning. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes the name in vain. What's he saying? God is going to punish anyone who carries, anyone who takes, anyone who bears the name of the Lord in vain. God is going to punish that person. This is what this word means here in Exodus chapter 7, to hold him Guiltless means to punish, means free from punishment. Thus, literally in this text of Scripture, let him not be free from punishment. He deserves it. Sometimes Erica will call me and say, Lewis, David is not listening. I know that's hard to believe. David's not listening. Okay, let me talk to David. So I'll put him on the phone, or I'll FaceTime him and say, David, are you listening to me? Yes, sir. Do exactly what your mother says, nothing less. Do you understand? Yes, sir. And do it right now. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Do you want me to come home? No, sir. He understands exactly what it means but sometimes Erica calls me and says, David has done X, Y, and Z, and he needs a spanking. You know what she's saying? Don't let him go unpunished. And this is what God is saying. If you act in this 
way. If you live in this manner, you will not go unpunished. This is keeping with the very character and nature of God. We come to Exodus chapter 34, and there God is going to give this revelation of exactly who he, who he is before the nation of Israel. And, and for many of us, we love this text of Scripture because it speaks of God in, in such a delightful, meaningful way. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Now, isn't that an awesome God? Isn't that the God we want to follow? Kind, gracious, meek, patient. But friends, we should not stop in the middle of verse 7. Hear the rest of verse 7. Who will by no means clear the guilty? Who will by no means let the guilty go unpunished? This is exactly what the Lord is saying here in, he, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. As one theologian wrote, quote, God will not allow the violator of this command to go unpunished because he will not allow his character to be defamed through misuse of his name. It matters how you and I bear the name of God. It matters how you and I represent the name of the Lord before one another and to a watching world. How do we bear? How do we carry the name of the Lord wrongly? I'd like to look at several examples from the Old Testament itself. Look with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 13. Ezekiel chapter 13, and we'll read verses 3 through 9. Here, God is going to complain against the false prophets. Why is he complaining against these false prophets? Because they preached the wrong message. He's going to complain against them because of their tone. They claim to speak for the Lord, and they're not even necessarily authorized to do so. Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 3 through 9. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, now he's going to quote what these prophets are saying. The prophets say, quote, declares the Lord, end quote, when the Lord has not sent them this word at all. 
and yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whenever you said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you. Perfectly in keeping with what God has commanded in this third commandment, do not take the name of the Lord in vain, for if you do, I will not leave you unpunished. I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. How do we bear the name of the Lord wrongly? We bear it wrongly when we speak falsely against what God has said. When we claim that God has said something when he's rightly said the opposite or said nothing at all. When we wrongly image who God is. Israel would also carry the name of the Lord wrongly as she lived like the other nations among the other nations. It wasn't only when Israel would go into captivity in, in Babylon that she would then adopt Babylon's worship of, of idols. She would also adopt everything about Babylon's culture. Not only would Israel, when an exile wrongly lived before God, Israel, even when she was in her land, would wrongly live before God, filling the temples full of worthless idols, claiming the name of God, bearing the name of God, but living in a manner completely, totally contrary to that name. I want to look at three quick examples Look with me in Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. What happened when Israel lived wrongly? Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21, God's name would be profaned. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Melech. Why? And so do what? Profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. What happens when we wrong, live wrongly? God's name is profane. Look back at Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 43. Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 7 and 8. What happens when Israel lives wrongly before the Lord? Verses 7 and 8. 
Let's start in verse 6. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall do what? No more defile my holy name, neither shall they nor their kings by their whoring and by, their, and by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only a wall between me and them. They have done what? Defiled my holy name. When Israel lives like the world, she profanes the name of the Lord. When Israel lives like the world, she defiles the name of the Lord. And then look with me back to the Pentateuch in Leviticus. She not only profanes the name of the Lord, she defiles the name of the Lord. Leviticus chapter 23, she blasphemes the name of the Lord. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 11 and verse 16. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. In verse 16, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present the grain offering to the Lord. And I have completely, totally written the wrong reference that I'm wanting to give you. So give me just one second because we're going to read it together. Okay. Right around this chapter somewhere is some words against blaspheming, blaspheming the Lord. Okay, what did I read? Oh, 23, thank you. I wrote it wrong. I knew it was close. Chapter 23, verse 11. And the, Israelites woman, and the Israelite woman's son did what? Blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His, his mother's name was Shemeloth, the daughter of Dibri and the tribe of Dan. And look again at verse 16. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well. And the native, when he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. When Israel lives like the pagans, they profane the name of the Lord. They defile the name of the Lord. They blaspheme the name of the Lord. They bear the name of the Lord in vain. To not blaspheme is an implication flowing out of this commandment. What are we doing when we blaspheme the name of the Lord? What's taking place? We saw an example just a few moments ago back in Ezekiel against these false prophets, these false priests. 
What were they doing? They were declaring that they had a word from the Lord when they in fact did not have a word from the Lord. They were assigning words to God that God himself had not assigned himself. They were wrongly misrepresenting who God was. And friends, this is why we must be very careful with our language when we say, God said. Some of us are guilty of the third commandment when we continually saying, God said, because we have, quote, heard that still small voice, or we claim like the prophets did in Ezekiel to have seen a vision. Friends, to claim that God has spoken something that is outside of the text of Scripture is to speak against the very character of God, and thus you become guilty of blasphemy. It matters what you say God has said. In fact, if I could just very pastorally and kindly say to you, stop saying, God told me. Unless you want to take the Bible and read John 3.16 and say, God said. Otherwise, you're guilty of breaking the third commandment. Don't blaspheme. Don't profane the name of the Lord. Lift high the name of the Lord and the way that you live and what you say, what you communicate. Don't be like Israel and do it wrongly. So what does God desire of you and me? How can you and I, in light of this commandment, live rightly before the Lord? What does God desire of you and me in terms of our actions that we might carry, that we might bear, that we might take the name of the Lord rightly? First, God desires that we carry the name of the Lord well. What do I mean by that? that we actually live like we're citizens of the kingdom of God. I want to commend to you over the course of the last four years here at Woodlawn, you can go back to our website and see the sermons in late December or early January. Our brother Nathan Richardson has preached for us on the, the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he went through, for example, the Beatitudes. What does it mean for you and me to, to carry, to bear the name of the Lord well, it means that we are poor in spirit, that we are those who mourn, that we are the meek, that we are the hungry, the ones who are hungry and, and thirst for righteousness, that we are the merciful. It means that we are the pure in heart. It means that we are the peacemakers. It means that we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It means that when others revile you, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil and false against you on my account that you rejoice and be glad. What does it mean 
to carry, to to bear the name of the Lord well, it means that we live like we are salt. It means that we live like we are a light that has been set on a hill. It means that we live like we are citizens of the kingdom of God. It means, as Paul would say, that we are willing to live through sufferings. This was what Paul would say in Galatians chapter 6, that he literally carried the marks of Jesus in his flesh. Paul was willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. This is what Peter would mean when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 through 19, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin as at the household of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And verse 18, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It means, friends, that you and I live like we are citizens of the kingdom. We carry the name of Christ well. And lastly, it means we bear his name to the nations. It means we give of the totality of our lives so that the name of Christ might be made known to all peoples. I'd like to trace this journey for you just real quickly from the Old Testament and then into the New Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, as Moses is giving his last words to the nation of Israel, here are these commands from the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 16 This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that God is your God. You're saying, he's mine, I'm I'm taking his name. You have declared today that, you, that today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. What does he mean that he shall set them in honor high above all the nations that he's made? What's God's purpose in in making Israel in this way? Not so that other nations will look to the nation of Israel and say, oh my goodness, how wonderful a group of people. 
God desired that the other nations would look to the nation of Israel and see how distinct they were from the rest of culture. And by being that distinct, they would understand who their God truly was. This is what Moses would say in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy in verses 9 and 10 in a much more direct way. Hear the word of Moses. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, and all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. Moses is saying to the nation of Israel, it matters how you live. And you remember Daniel? What happens to Daniel? Daniel is living in a pagan nation. He's got a group of friends that are jealous of his relationship with the king. So they trick the king into making a declaration that no one shall worship any other god for a period of 30 days. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, I love this passage of Scripture. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, in other words, when he knew that the decree had been given, you shall not worship another god, he went to his house, and notice what the Bible says, where he had windows. Now, isn't that interesting? Why is the text of Scripture wanting us to know that Daniel's going to a place where there are, quote, windows? You think, oh, Daniel was scared of the king's decree? You think Daniel was intimidated? You think Daniel was tempted to give in? You think Daniel was tempted to profane the name of the Lord, to defile the name of the Lord, to blaspheme the name of the Lord? Nope. The text is telling us Daniel is intent in honoring the Lord. You know what Daniel's going to do for us, friends? He's going to show us how to rightly bear the name of God in a pagan culture. Here, Daniel chapter 9, verses 16 through 19. Daniel chapter 9, verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts... Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Why? Now, therefore, O God, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. 
Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name, or we might say your city and your people bear your name. God, Daniel wants God to act in a certain way. Why? So that all the nations around the nation of Israel might know God. That they might see His his power and His might. That they might believe. Daniel was concerned that the Lord's reputation was on the line. And so too is it, friends, with you and me. When we take the name of the Lord and we live in a different way, it's not necessarily your reputation that's most at stake. It's the reputation of the Lord. This is why Jesus would say to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 that they are to Take the name of the Lord to all the nations. To go, to baptize, to teach. Who? All peoples. This is why when we take this gospel narrative, Acts chapter 2 verse 38 reminds us that we are to baptize people in the name of Jesus. We're not people who are living for a king by another name. We are people who are solely submitted to the name of Christ. And at what name will all peoples one day bow? Peoples will one day all bow before the name of Jesus. It matters, friends, how you and I carry how we bear the name of Christ. And in his little treatise on evangelism, Titus tells us in Titus chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say against us this my friends it what is what it means for us to bear the name of the lord rightly Are you proclaiming the name of Christ around the world? Are you representing Christ to those who live next door to you? Are you taking the gospel message to your workforce? Are you communicating who Jesus is to your children and grandchildren? I bet you never thought for a moment that my neglect to proclaim Christ causes me to be guilty of the third commandment. 
are you living? Not only are we taking Jesus to those who do not believe, what is the reputation of your life and the community where you live? How are you known at work? How are you known at at home? Is there a difference in the way in which you live your life at home and before your children and your family than what you present yourself to be here in the context of this gathering? When we don't live rightly, when we don't walk in a manner worthy of the calling, we are guilty of violating the third commandment. May God, by his spirit, and the life of this church, cause us to be men and women of faith who bear the name of the Lord rightly. If you take the name of God, you must live the name of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of yourself to us through your word. And we thank you, God, that through this word, you have called us to obedience. You've called us to live rightly before you. You've shown us the way. And so we pause this morning to ask that you, God, would first and foremost forgive us of the ways in which we've violated this command. That you would forgive us for the way in which we've not honored you with our speech. You would forgive us, Lord, for the way in which we've been angry. You would forgive us, Lord, for the way in which we've failed to communicate your gospel message. You would forgive us, God, because we've not lived in a manner worthy of the calling. And we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would enable us to walk in faithfulness before you. Would you take a few moments where you're seated today and reflect on the preaching of God's Word? In what ways has the text of Scripture and God's Spirit this morning pricked to your heart, convicted you of areas where you violated this commandment? As you reflect on your life, in what ways do you see yourself living in a way before friends, before coworkers? that is different than the way in which you live your life at church. Would you confess that to the Lord this morning? And as you confess that to the Lord, would you ask him to help you bear the name of the Lord rightly? Friend, you can never bear the name of the Lord rightly if you've never taken the name of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that we're dead in, the tresp- in our trespasses and sins, that we're separated from a holy, good God. 
And the only way for us to have that right relationship with God is to take the name of the Lord, to call on the name of the Lord. And the Bible says that if we call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, as we sing, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. We would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come speak to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you. There are plenty of people seated next to you that would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, perhaps you'd like one of us just to pray with you that the truths of this text of Scripture might indeed be evident in your life. Perhaps you know that you're facing a specific situation in the context of your home or in your workplace where you're being challenged. Will I be a Daniel and bear the name of the Lord rightly? Or will I yield to temptation? We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. And thirdly, maybe God is impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, we ask that our response might be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.